And good morning once again, sisters and brothers who are here, as well as uh, good morning to those who are online. Uh, we will be looking at that passage together that's just been read, so let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Father, we pray that you'll continue to speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word uh, as we consider this passage together. We pray that you open our eyes to see Jesus more clearly and to respond to him the way you want us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine you have central crushing chest pain radiating down your left arm associated with shortness of breath. And you overhear the nurse saying that your cardiac enzymes are raised and you have ST elevation on your ECG. Now, you have the facts, but to get the whole picture, you need to understand the meaning. And you find out the meaning when the doctor explains that you're having a heart attack. And once you have that meaning, then you can begin to work out how you respond to that situation. Our passage today rounds off a series of miracle stories which form the bulk of Matthew 8 and 9, which we've been looking at in this present sermon series. As we look at our passage, we will see some facts, we will work out their meaning, and because in this passage the emphasis seems to be the response of the people to Jesus, it'll be time for us to make our personal response as well. So let's look at these last two miracles in our series. The first one starts in verse 27 with two blind men trailing Jesus. And they're crying out to him, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, King David was the greatest king ancient Israel ever had. He lived a thousand years before Jesus. God promised him a dynasty that would never end. Uh, so when Israel rebelled against God and he punished them with the exile, he also promised that one day he would restore them and give them a permanent king from David's line. In the opening of Matthew's gospel, in the genealogy, he's already told us that Jesus is a son of David. And these two blind men know that as well. And so when they come to him for healing, they're not just calling out, Jesus, please heal us. They're crying out, have mercy on us son of David. They believe that Jesus is God's promised king. Jesus doesn't do anything until verse 28, he has entered the house. He wants some privacy and we wonder why. The blind men follow him in and then he asks them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? He's not asking, do you believe that you are healed? As if Believing that you are healed somehow heals you is a power of very, very positive thinking. Uh, he doesn't ask, do you believe God can heal you? Every Jew believed God was powerful and could do anything. Right? Back in the Old Testament, Exodus 4, God said to Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Jesus asked these blind men if they believe that he can do this. Jesus wants them to have faith, not a general kind of faith, but a faith that he can do what only God can do. Yes, Lord, they reply at the end of verse 28. And he touches their eyes and says, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes are open and their sight is restored. But Jesus warns them sternly in verse 30. See that no one knows about it. 
And again, you wonder, what's, what's going on here? Does he want them to, like, to pretend to still be blind? But the actual words of Jesus literally are, see, let no one know. What doesn't Jesus want people to know? He's already publicly known as someone who heals. So it can't just be about their healing. Ah, but remember what they were shouting when Jesus led them into the house for privacy. Son of David, have mercy upon us. It's not so much that they're healing that he, Jesus doesn't want people to know about, but that their healer was the son of David. That their eyes had been opened by the king. You see, Jesus had been telling people that the kingdom of God was about to come. But the time to identify the king was not yet ripe. But people had their own preconceptions about what God's king would do. They would have wanted him to raise an army, or to fight the Romans, to declare Israelite independence, to secure a political kingdom. But, but Jesus would bring God's kingdom in not by combat or negotiation, but by dying on a cross and rising again. His kingdom would be a very different kingdom than what people expected. And so until he can teach the disciples about his kingdom, it's better people don't realize that he's the king. Or they'll try and make him king by force. But look what happens in verse 31. They went away and spread not the news about their healing, but his fame throughout all that district, or literally in the whole land. They probably didn't decide just to, okay, lah, we forget what Jesus said, let, let's go and do something opposite. Probably just happened, right? Maybe they shared it with a few people confidentially, and then a few more, and a few more, and each of them told a few until eventually this, this is really confidential, but don't tell anyone about this, from the beginning of the story, drops off, and, and eventually this disobedient, healed blind man are responsible for the spreading news about Jesus. Well, the next incident that Matthew records begins in verse 32, where a demonized man who is mute is brought to Jesus. Now, uh, demons are not the cause for all muteness. There's all kinds of reasons why a person might be mute. Uh, Matthew and the Gospel writer is always careful to distinguish sickness from demonization. Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons. But here's one example where the man was mute and the cause was demonic. Yet, unlike earlier on in Matthew 9, Matthew is not so interested in the demon. In fact, he even skips the exorcism. He simply says in verse, um, verse, verse 33, when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. Jesus gave him back his speech. Now, Matthew is showing us all this because he wants to show us the people's response. The crowd, the crowds in the, in the second half of verse 33, say, marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. Now, there are many miracles in Israel's history, but as far as I can find in the Old Testament, I see no example of the blind speaking and the mute, the blind seeing and the mute speaking. The crowds can rightly see that what Jesus is doing is unique. But they don't actually understand the significance of it. They're very impressed by the facts, but they can't actually tell what they mean. All they can say is, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Still, the Pharisees don't like it, and they certainly don't want those crowds to start following Jesus. Uh, they can't deny the fact that Jesus is doing incredible things, but instead of going back to the Old Testament to see their meaning, they choose to interpret the facts in the way that is most convenient for them politically. 
Yes, Jesus casts out demons. That's because he's tapped into the power of the evil one. He casts them out, he says, they say in verse 34, by the prince of demons. So Jesus must be an evil man now. You see, everybody agrees on Jesus' miracles, but the Pharisees have given them a twisted meaning. The Pharisees of all people should have gone back to the Old Testament to work out what these things meant. Because if they did, then they would have read prophecies like Isaiah 35, where we see the eyes of the blind open and the mute tongue singing with joy. Isaiah 35 describes the time of God's redemption, the end of the exile, the coming of the kingdom. Remember, the Jews had been restored to the land physically, but there's still a sense in which their exile is not really over. But politically, they're still under the Romans. But more importantly, God's promise is still not fulfilled. Kingdom of God hasn't come. The son of David, the king, hasn't come. God's people still waiting. But Isaiah 35 speaks of the time when God would come to save his people. It says in verse 4, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And what happens when God comes to save his people? Verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And if you read on in Isaiah 35, there's many things that are figurative. There's streams in the desert, highway of holiness. But, but here in Matthew 9, we see the symbolism break into reality. The eyes of the blind are literally open. The mute tongue is unleashed. These are the facts. And the meaning of these miracles is that the time of the exile is over. God has come to save and rule his people. And ought to have been good news for first century Israel. That's what the Pharisees should have been able to see. That's what they should have told the crowds. But instead they led them astray by making up some excuse not to follow Jesus. In spite of the facts that were before their eyes. And the Old Testament in their very hands. But what about us? Are these healings significant to us in 21st century KL? Oh yes, they most certainly are. Because, you see, Israel's exile from the land is a picture of something much bigger. Israel's exile from the land is a point of far bigger exile that, 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 that we human beings have been under since, since Adam and Eve, our ancestors, were expelled from the Garden of Eden. In the Garden, they have been God's people and God's place under His blessing and rule, living in unspoiled relationship with God, with each other, the environment around them. But when they disobeyed against God, when they rebelled against Him, when they sinned, they were exiled from the garden, just as Israel would later be exiled from the land. And ever since then, as a human race, we have been living outside the garden. And just as God promised a return from exile for Israel, God has promised a return for us. You know, sometimes in biblical prophecy, the two are superimposed on one another because one stands for the other. And so while Isaiah 35 is, speaks initially about a return from exile, it's actually speaking about the bigger return from the bigger exile. And the promise there is actually everlasting joy upon the heads of the returnees. And so when Jesus comes to announce the return of the exile and the coming of the kingdom, he's not just there to solve an Israelite problem. He's not just there to fix the sign. He's there to fix the reality to which the sign pointed. He's going to bring an end to the exile, all right, but not just the, the exile of Israel with the exile of the world that has rebelled against his creator. He's going to bring us once again to be God's people, God's place, under God's blessing and rule. 
He will bring in the day when, in the words of Isaiah 35, sorrow and sighing shall flee away forever. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. No more blindness, no more deafness, no more muteness, no more demons. The miracles that were done in Israel were pointers to that day. They were foretaste, they were shadows, powerful pictures that spoke of what's to come. The physical healing of the people in the land pointed to the healing of people all over the world from sin and its consequences, the ultimate healing, the restoration between God and humankind, which Jesus achieved on the cross and will one day bring to fulfillment when he returns in glory to usher in the new creation. And these miracles not only picture this happening, they also tell us who brings in this healing for creation. It is the son of David, the king, God come to save and rule his people. Jesus Christ, the ultimate God-man, the ultimate healer. And finally, they also show us how we can have a part in that healing and restoration. It is by faith in Him. That's why this faith is so important here. It's by believing in Him and crying out to Him for mercy and rescue. Jesus is God. He, can, he could have healed people without faith, but his, the healings are so important. Because the, the, the faith is so important because they're, they're pointing to the ultimate healing of salvation from sin and death and hell. And that real rescue to which all these healings point, is something that can only be received by faith. It is by trusting in Jesus, like these two blind men did, that we are saved. It's by believing in Him as King and throwing ourselves at His mercy that we can be forgiven. It's by relying on Him and Him alone we can escape the judgment and have eternal life with God in the new heaven and new earth as God's people, God's place, under God's blessing and rule forever. Friends, we've seen the facts. We've seen the significance. But the main point of this passage is to help us respond. The Spirit through Matthew has shown us here how, how three different groups of people responded to Jesus. And in this concluding set of miracles, in this, in this, this section of Matthew, we need to ask ourselves, who are we like in this story? Who are you like? Are you like one of the people in the crowds, impressed but clueless, having the facts but not the meaning? Well, today you've been given the meaning. There's no more excuse for just a positive but inadequate response. Are you like the Pharisees, opposing Jesus, saying terrible things about him, accepting the facts but horribly distorting the meaning for your own convenience? Please don't be like that, Lara. Or are you like the blind men? Ah, that's the one you want to be like, these blind men. These blind men could see that Jesus is the son of David, the king. That he could save them. And they cried out to him for mercy. Have you come to Jesus like those blind men? Have you come to see that Jesus is the promised king to, who came to, to save and rule his people? Not just in the abstract, but in the personal. He's the only one who can rescue you from something far worse than physical blindness. He's the only one who can save you and can save me from our sin. From the wrath of God we so richly deserve because of our rebellion and our failure. 
from the death and eternal punishment of hell that would otherwise be ours. For he took our sin, our punishment for us on the cross. He's the only one who can bring us back from the exile, who can bring us to God, who can take us to heaven when we die and raise us up on that last day. You can't achieve that for yourself any more than those blind men could make themselves see. If you have not done so, then please cry out to him like that blind man. Son of David, have mercy on me. And when he asks you, do you believe I can do this? You say, yes, Lord, to him. And he will say, as he said to those blind men of old, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Before we close, there is one final thing to say. The two blind men were told by Jesus to keep quiet about who he is because the time was not right for people to know. But after all Jesus did for them, they failed to obey him. Well, thank God that we don't have to keep quiet today. Times have changed, and now is not the time to be silent. The king has died, the king has risen again, the king has entered his kingdom, all authority, he has said in Matthew's gospel, the end of the gospel, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. We have been rescued, friends, in a much bigger way than these blind men. And who Jesus is, is no longer a secret. We have permission, and not just permission, a command to declare it to the world. So unlike the blind men, let's make sure that we Obey our instructions. Let's pray. Let's take a few moments to pray quietly to Jesus. There may be some people here today, online, who need to come to Jesus to save them from sin and death and hell. No, you can't save yourself. You know that Jesus is God's promised King. He's the only one who can save you. Well, if that's you, you cry out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And prepare to follow him from this day onwards as your king. Maybe others who know the mercy of Jesus in your life. You know him as the king who has saved you. And ask him to show you one thing that you can do to let someone else know about him.
Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon us and enable us to love and obey you. Amen.